Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please turn to John chapter 1. What does your praise cost you? Judas didn't like it, did he? That she would take that ointment and give it to the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus was honored by it. David said, I will give nothing to the Lord that costs me nothing. You remember that he was offered a threshing floor to do worship, but he would not take it unless he could pay for it. He thought it should cost him something to give worship to God, and it ought to cost us something. John chapter 1, John chapter 1 this morning, and I want to thank you for, if you've been praying for my wife, and she got away on Tuesday and drove across the border without any trouble whatsoever. And uh, so she, she's American and Canadian, and Americans don't like that, but tough. And so she got to the border, and she flashed her American passport, and they said, come on in. And uh, so she got down to Indianapolis and spent uh, the remainder of that day and all day Wednesday with Austin. And then on Thursday, she flew to Texas, and so she's with her dad now. And uh, they have to sterilize the house in order to do the dialysis in there. So they've actually torn apart some rooms, and they're cleaning them thoroughly and, and then actually painting them. Uh, so that it was all fresh and clean. So that's what she's doing, painting rooms. And then tomorrow, I believe, and for this week, her and George are going to school, I think every day for eight hours, to learn how to do the home dialysis so that she can help him get started the following week. And so I appreciate your prayers for them. That's going to be a, a long week. I, I can't imagine my father-in-law in school. I don't think he was very good when he was in school as a kid. And he'd be the guy throwing erasers and you know that kind of stuff. And so for him to do that at 70 years old is going to be tough on him, but I appreciate your prayers for them as they go through that this week. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, let me share a blessing with you, and I shared it in the morning service, and then it happened, and uh, uh, how many of you know Kyle Reedy's? Kyle is one of our special people, and uh, he's kind of got the crippled hand, and he walks around, he uh, greets people and talks to people. Kyle calls me every single day sometimes two and three times a day, and all he wants to know is how is Hilda and the baby, and how is Leah and the baby, and Rachel, and uh, on and on it goes, and Amy, he wants to know about Amy and the baby, and how will we know when they have their babies? I said, I'll announce it. But here's the thing, Kyle hasn't been in church since last March. He lives in a group home, and they won't let him come to church. So he would have no idea that those ladies were even expecting if he's not watching every week online. And so it's such a blessing to know that he tries, makes an effort to get on and watch our services somehow. Somebody at the home puts it on for him and he gets to watch. And so Kyle's with us today, so let's say hi to Kyle. And, uh, but I really appreciate that he cares so much that he calls every day, sometimes twice, three times a day. And then I said that in the morning service and I went to my office and the phone rang in between the services and it was Kyle. And I honestly, if the phone rings at the church now, I pick it up and say, hi, Kyle, because I know it's him. And uh, some say, well, doesn't that get tiring? Not at all. I'm so glad he cares. And it's such a blessing that he wants to know. And he heard on, online, or he heard on the service that Ray Austin had passed away. And he called right away. He says, who died? Who died? And I said, Brother Austin went home to be with the Lord. Oh. He's just so heartbroken by it all. But it's such a blessing. I, I wish I could have that kind of heart. I wish God would put that heart in me. It's just such a simple guy, mentally handicapped, lives in a group home, but he loves people. Would to God that we'd all have that and care about each other like that. So praise the Lord. I think he calls you every day too, Daniel, or almost every day. And uh, 
I told Hilda this morning, I said, if something happens to Neil, you better watch out because Kyle is asking about her every day. And, and Hilda was excited about that. I don't know, but anyway, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Hey, it feels good to be in church. I, I don't know why. It's just so much better than outside and less distractions. And I'm going to tell you tonight, um, come, I just feel like the Lord's going to be a do something tonight and we might throw out the order of service and sing a bunch and have a good time together. So you come and uh, we'll do whatever we need to do, but we're going to have a good time in house of God tonight. John chapter one, and let's read the first 10 verses. I, I, I'm just going to, I won't take long. I, I realize our time is short and I guess it doesn't matter at this service as much as it does the first. I prepared a message thinking I was going to be outside. I prepared it over a week ago. And so it's kind of short because I don't like having a lot of notes out in the wind. It blows away from you. So I just kind of kept it concise. But I felt like the Lord had had me share it with you anyway. The doctrine of John the Baptist. The doctrine of John the Baptist. I, I believe that if we have a Bible, we ought to have the right doctrine. I, I believe that. I believe that if somebody's going to preach, they have the right doctrine, especially on the major things. Now, there's little things, I suppose, that we don't understand maybe, the mysteries of the Bible and things we might disagree on, and that's okay. Christians, you know this, as adults, you should be able to disagree without being disagreeable, right? You can disagree without being disagreeable. You don't have to fight about everything. And, uh, but there's some fundamentals, and there's some things that are important. And, and so I want you to notice that John the Baptist, even before the cross of Calvary, even before Christ died and rose from the dead, he may not have understood completely what was going to happen, but he had an idea of who Jesus was. And his doctrine was solid right down the line with the Bible. And so let's look today at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, <coughs> you'll excuse me, I'm really trying to keep my voice. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Have you ever seen one verse in the Bible destroy evolution as well as verse 3? Read it again. All things were made by him. Well, what about, no, no, all things. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. I mean, it doesn't get any plainer than that. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. If you ever hear somebody say, well, I think I can go to heaven without Jesus Christ. I'd just be a good person or I can go to church. Or I can be religious. Show them verse 4. In him was life. The Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You have to have life to go to heaven. And in him was life. Uh, you can't, if you're not found in the book of life, you're in trouble. You need to know Jesus Christ. Verse 5, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness, darkness comprehended it not. Look at verse 6 now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Understand this, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, I'm putting the emphasis in there on purpose, in him uh, should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 1 verse uh, 7 says, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him, Jesus Christ, might believe. There's no other way to be saved 
He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 1 John 5, 12. Now look at verse 8. In verse 7, the same came for a witness, talking about John the Baptist. He's bearing witness of the light. Verse 8, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the characters that we find in the word of God, that through their preaching and teaching and actions, Lord, we can learn more about you. I pray that you'd help us as we look at John the Baptist to understand this is not the story of John, but this is the story of God's grace upon John's life. This is the story of Jesus Christ and how he must increase, but John would decrease. So Father, I pray that you would just help us with a laser focus to look at the word of God in such a way uh, that we would believe it, comprehend it, that the spirit of God may work it into our hearts. And so Lord, we surrender to you and ask for your spirit's filling. Lord, bless your word today. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at Bethel Baptist Academy, by the time the kids are about 15 years old, they're in 10th grade and they're looking at 11th and 12th grade, and we have to start talking to them about what do you want to do with your life? If you want to go to a specific program, maybe at Guelph University or McMaster University, you have to have certain accredited courses from, uh, from high school level with university attachments to them in order to get into certain courses. And so we're, we're able, we, we have what's called ILC, Independent Learning Center Credits, and we can uh, have those piped in just like we do with the Abeka program, and they can take the sciences and the maths and things that they might need to get to a higher level education. But it's, it's interesting to sit down in my office with a 15-year-old and say, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? They push it pretty young now. And sometimes they don't know, and they get to 11th grade, and they still don't know, and they'll get to 12th grade, and they say, well, I think I want to do this, and so maybe I better grab these credits, and maybe I start working towards that. And, but boy, they put pressure on kids so early now to get into university and such. You know, that was never a problem with John the Baptist. From the time he was in his mother's womb, he was the forerunner of the Jesus Christ. He had one purpose. If you were to read through the life of John the Baptist, you will find that he only ever did one thing. He preached. I was thinking about Brother Giesbrecht as you shared your testimony. He said, I just, just kept, God just kept showing me, I got to preach. I have to preach. I have to preach. That's all John the Baptist did. He pointed people to Jesus Christ. I don't see in the Bible where he ever got into talking about the rapture or eschatology or when Jesus might return. If, if anybody got into those doctrines, I imagine John just said, no, no, behold the Lamb of God. Let's look back to Jesus. Let's put our faith and trust in him. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And he just promoted Jesus throughout his life. And it's such a great thing that, that we might learn and glean from that a little bit. We can get into a lot of discussions and even arguments about different things that we think are going to happen in the future. And we look at the circumstances around us in the world today and we say, well, this is prophecy fulfilled before our eyes. They've been saying that for a thousand years. And yet the Lord has still tarried. I would encourage you in times like that when you don't know or can't figure it out, go back to the basis and just point people to Jesus. The truth is, 
Jesus may come tonight, but if he's coming tonight, you better know Jesus. We better get back to that singular focus and understand that we are here to tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart every word. Tell me the old, old story. Make sure that we are telling people about Jesus Christ. You know, in John's approach to all of this, before he ever opens his mouth and preaches specifically about Jesus Christ, and we'll look at that in a few moments, there's a lot of doctrine in just how John approached his calling. His calling was to be a preacher of Jesus Christ, a forerunner of the Messiah to make the way straight. But how he approached that calling reveals a lot uh, about John and about his doctrine. First of all, we, we notice that he understood his position. He understood who he was. Verse 8 says he was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not worthy, it says in verse 27, to even undo his shoe latchet. He was simply a voice, but he was not the word. He was preaching about the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. People would come to John, the, the Bible says the Levites and the priests came to him and said, aren't you Elias or that prophet? What did they mean by that prophet? They're saying, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not even the light. I'm just a lamp holding up a light. I'm just a voice proclaiming the word. I, I'm just a prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I am, I am not Jesus Christ. I am not the Messiah. I, in, in John chapter 3, uh, his disciples would complain to him, this Jesus is making more disciples than you, John. And he said, I'm just... I'm not the bridegroom, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. It's my job to bring attention to him. He must increase, but I must decrease. And in fact, he did. There was such a humility in John's approach to his calling that you never mistook him for the Messiah. I think today, honestly, we have a lot of televangelists and preachers that think they're more than they should be. They think that they are the Messiah, or they think that they can, can change people's lives. I, I remember going to a conference years ago in a Baptist church where the, the preacher got up and he said, and he said, what makes the blank blank church, and he gave the name of the church, great? It was the church he had come from, and it was, he wasn't the pastor there, he was an assistant pastor, but it was a large, large church of 20,000 people or so. They had 300 pastors on staff. He says, what makes this church great? And I thought, okay, I don't like the title. But maybe he's going to say, because we serve a great God. But he didn't. He went on to preach for the next hour, our church is great because we change people's lives. It was a youth conference, and I had a bunch of teens, and I drove them home, and in the car I said, guys, understand this, no man has ever changed another man's life ever. The gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of God, changes lives, not men. We are just fortunate to be his vessels. We're just fortunate to be the lamps that hold up the light, the voice that gives forth the word. But don't you ever think you're more than you ought to be. Point people to Jesus Christ. 
John understood that. He understood his position. He understood that Jesus was preferred. The Bible says in verse 15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. The Bible says here that word preferred literally means to be exalted or glorified. In other words, John's saying Jesus should be the preferred one. Don't look at me like I've done anything great. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And so he was preferred before him. But he also understood that Jesus was the pre-existing one. Notice what it says in verse 15 again. It says, he that cometh after me is preferred before me. Why? For he was before me. You know, if there's anything the Jews did well... It was keeping track of families, genealogy. Jesus spoke about, Paul spoke about that later when he said they, they get involved in endless genealogies. But they knew if you were from the tribe of Benjamin or from the house of Joseph, they knew that. You'll remember the Lord Jesus Christ was, was ministering and somebody said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth? They knew his family. They knew where he was from. Somebody else said, when they talked about Jesus, can anything good come out of Galilee? They knew where he was from. They knew his family. And so when John said, Jesus came before me, they must have all went, wait a minute, no. No, 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 no. John, you're six months older than Jesus. We remember when Elizabeth announced that she was expecting, and it was such an, an amazing thing because it was a miracle. She was up in eight years, and, and we remember that, and we remember that John was born, and then six months later, a little baby cousin came along named Jesus. If there was anything they kept track of, it was that stuff. But John says, no, he was before me. He's the pre-existing one. He is the son of God. So as John approached his calling, we see a lot of good doctrine. We see that he understood who he was and he understood who he wasn't. But more importantly, he understood who Jesus was. Now look at some of the things we see in his message. Look down at verse 29. And we'll focus here for the next few moments. The Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After, he, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. He says, I told you this back in verse 15. Verse 31, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Of God. As I look at the statements of John the Baptist, we talked about his approach to his calling and his methods and how he lived his life that just oozed that I'm going to promote Jesus in everything I do. I'm going to point people to Christ wherever I go. I, he had no pretense about him to say that I am something I shouldn't be. But notice his preaching now, his message as we come to verse 29. John sees Jesus coming and he says, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The first thing that, that, that pops to my mind as I read this, he understood the sacrifice. He understood the sacrifice. 
The Jews that he was speaking to understood what he was saying. Behold the lamb. You know what a lamb was. A lamb was to be sacrificed. He could have called him anything else. He could have said, behold the lion of Judah. Maybe the people would have rejoiced and got excited. A lion is one that is fierce in battle. One that will lead us out of Roman captivity. One that will establish a kingdom on earth. He could have said, behold the king of kings. But he didn't. Behold the king of Israel. That would have got the people stirred up. They said, behold the lamb. You know, even the disciples of Jesus Christ did not understand that Jesus would go and die and pay the price for sins. The Bible says, after he rose from the dead, they remembered that Jesus had spoke on these things. But John knew, even before he knew who the Messiah was, that he would be the lamb. The lamb. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice. Hey, listen, don't let, don't let, let that ever slip from your mind. We do the Lord's table for a purpose, to remind us of the sacrifice. A broken body, blood that was shed to pay the price for our sins. Let's never forget it. John the Baptist understood that doctrine. But notice the second thing we notice from here. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins. He wasn't just a sacrifice, he was a savior. You see, Jesus' blood did what those lambs could not do. Those lambs were sacrificed over and over and over again. Not the same lamb. But thousands and thousands and maybe millions of lambs over the years have been sacrificed to cover, to cover. Jesus Christ shed his blood to cleanse, to take away, to wash us that we might be whiter than snow. I heard somebody say this, and I, I thought it was kind of funny, but it helps me remember. They said, I don't know how a brown cow can eat green grass and produce white milk, but I know that red blood can wash a black heart and make it white as snow. That's good. Uh, it's a silly thing to say, but you can go write it down, put it on your fridge, and it'll help you remember. The blood, the blood, the blood. He wasn't just a sacrifice, he was a savior. Uh, the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to take away our sins and he bore that penalty on Calvary. We notice also, when I think of that word lamb, do you know what else word comes to mind? It's the word sinless. The word sinless. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like we, as we are, yet without sin. You see, why does the word lamb make you think of being sinless? Because any lamb that was a sacrifice had to be without spot and without blemish, had to be perfect. Jesus Christ is not just the spotless lamb of God, he is the sinless lamb of God. You say, how, how could a man live without sin? Because he was not born of a man. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, uh, as Adam sinned, all men have sinned, and death by sin passed on to all men. Sin, the, the sin nature is passed on through the man. Ladies, what do you think about that? Some of you said, I knew it. I just know that. I was aware of that. But Jesus didn't have an earthly father. 
The Holy Ghost conceived in Mary. And so he came from a perfect, holy God without sin. When I see lamb, I think of a sacrifice. I think of sinless. He was the savior because he took away the sins of the world. But we see thirdly, in John's message, he was sent from God. Notice what it says in verse 32. And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and abode upon him and I knew him not. Think about that for a minute. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Now understand, we have an account of everything that took place 30, 40 years after it actually happened. And so sometimes chronologically, things get a little bit out of order. John says, I really didn't know. John knew that he was called to be a forerunner. He was called to preach uh, about this coming Messiah, to make the way straight and prepare the way of the Lord. He understood that, but he may not have understood that Jesus was actually that Messiah until the Bible says, he says, I knew him not. But he says, the one that sent me to baptize and to preach the coming kingdom of God also told me this, when you see the spirit descending and resting upon him and staying upon him, then you'll know that he was sent from God. And from that moment, John's preaching changed. For a while, he would preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. The Lord is coming. The Christ is coming. But now he had somebody to point to. Behold, there he is. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He was sent from God. Notice this next thing. He is a spirit giver. If you're saved today, you know you have the spirit of God. That's one of the wonderful blessings of knowing Christ is his spirit dwells within us. The moment I got saved, the spirit regenerated me. The Bible calls it quickened. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It was a supernatural work. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to the Lord and said, what can I do? And he says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, confused, said, should I enter again into my mother's womb? And he says, no, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit. Born of the spirit with life from above, as the old hymn says, We've been regenerated, made new by the Spirit of God. And not only that, the Bible says he indwelt me. His presence is in my life. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then I also know this in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, his Spirit has sealed me under the day of redemption. That is putting a mark on me and saying, he belongs to me. We are children of God because of his Spirit. But Jesus is that Spirit giver. Notice what he says in verse 33. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, listen, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. I know Baptists, we don't like that phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I can't get past that scripture without reading it. Sorry. It's in the Bible. And so he gives the Spirit of God. John chapter 16, I won't have you turn there for the sake of time. In John chapter 16, he's comforting his disciples. In John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And all they heard was, I go. And their hearts were broken that Jesus was leaving. And so for the next several chapters, he begins to 
encourage them in doctrine. And, and three or four different times, he tells them that the comforter is coming. And in John chapter 16 and verse 7, he says, he says to them, he says, it is expedient for you that I must go. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I go, he will come. He is the spirit giver. Listen, think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save us as the sinless, spotless sacrifice of God. And yet when he returned to heaven, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's my spirit to dwell on within us. Hey, you ever, you ever set out to do something wrong and something goes off in here? That's the spirit of God convicting your heart. You ever wonder what your next step is, and so you get down and pray about it, and then when you get up from prayer, you go, hey, I know what to do. That's the Spirit of God guiding you. You ever look around at a funeral and wonder why everybody else is weeping so much more than you are? That's because we sorrow, but not without hope, because the Spirit of God is our comforter. So many times, the Spirit of God comes alongside us. That's what the word comforter means. It's the Greek word paraclete. And it literally means to come alongside, to, to hold us up, to strengthen us. And we learn from his spirit that his grace is in fact sufficient. He is the spirit giver. Look at this last thing in verse 34. John is still speaking, and I saw and bear record that this is the son of God. I got one more S for you. I alliterated just to help us remember. And also, so if I was on the back of a trailer, I could remember. He was the sacrifice. He was sinless. He's a savior. He's sent from God. He's the spirit giver. But he is the very son of God. John chapter 1 and verse 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Oh, I'm so tired of all the movements today that'll say, well, Jesus was just a good man. He's just a teacher. No, John, the apostle, testifies that he is the Son of God. John the Baptist says he is the Son of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he that hath the Son hath life. You better believe he's the Son of God or you're lost and going to hell. He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When Jesus was baptized, the, the, the dove descended from the heaven and the clouds opened and the voice of God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. That's who John came to talk about. Let me ask you this today. You know, perhaps better than anybody we see in the New Testament... John the Baptist fulfilled his calling. To be honest, there wasn't a lot of time for him to mess up because he would die shortly after he started preaching. But even Peter, filled with the Spirit of God, preaching the day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved later, Paul would say, I had to stand him to the face because he was given in to those Judaizers, the legalists, the Pharisees. But John fulfilled his calling. You say, why? How was he able to do that? Because he just remained true to the doctrines he believed. And he didn't just preach them, he lived them. We saw in his approach to his calling that everything he did 
said, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Messiah. I believe in the Christ. And he promoted that in his life. And he told people uh, unashamedly, even the Pharisees that came and had the power to take his life, he said, ye generation of vipers. He was fearless because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Let me ask you, does your life display Christ like his? Just our behavior. From our behavior, can this world see a clear picture of who we believe Jesus is. Here's the thing. Tomorrow morning, you'll get up, and go to work or go, go about your day, and you will live what you believe. It's painted all over you. If you're unkind to people, they'll say, is that the kind of Jesus you serve? If you're caught up in deceit and lies, they'll look and say, is that the Christ you follow? You have a testimony whether you choose to believe it or not. It's either good or bad. How we represent Christ. John lived what he believed. May we do the same. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Listen, it's not simply enough to have your doctrine straight. It's something we need to live. It's, it's important to have convictions in, about the Bible and who Jesus is, but... Can people see it? Are you living it out? Is it visible in your life? Maybe there's one here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I've never met this lamb. I, I, I believe in him, but I've never had a personal faith in him. I've been dealing with a young man, somebody, a family member, somebody goes to church here. And they live out of town, but for the last year I've been kind of trying to help or encourage in some way. He wrote me a note yesterday and he said, it's one year ago today that I met in your office and it was that day he accepted Christ. He said, let me tell you the greatest thing I learned in the last year. Jesus is simply not Lord and Savior, but he is my Lord and Savior. That's the difference. Jesus is Lord. You can't change that. that. He is who he is. He is the Savior, but is he yours personally? Do you know Jesus as your Savior today? We could help you, and I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call it your name. But if you would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, would you slip up your hand? Would I, would I be able to help you today? If you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, nothing else, he is the way, the truth, the life. Everything else is the wrong way. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is death. Do you know him? Could I encourage you today to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for all these things he is? That he is the sacrifice, the sinless one, the savior, the spirit giver. Would you just take a moment and thank him and praise him today?